What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 56 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and for the first time this year, and definitely not the last, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. All right, mate, are you getting on? Hey, <laughs> how are you, my friend? It's good. Um, cynicism's kept me alive like cockroaches, so at the end of the nuclear apocalypse, it'll be, it'll be fucking me, Bruce, sticking to my opinions, just like in a weird Bermuda Triangle. Um, but yeah, man, it is fantastic to be back here for another year, and I'm looking forward to our usual reign of um, nonsense and uh, silliness. NFL kicked you up last night, did he? Yeah, I was until like half three. You four, absolute fucking animal. You animal. <laughs> do you know, mate, I remember I remember when I used to do this for um, for pro wrestling stuff. Like, it'd just be like this random no. bullshit Sunday pay-per-view. And I'd be like, yeah. I'll stay up till five o'clock in the morning to watch this meaningless event. I remember, mate. I remember. But, like, mine was a real sport and NFL is egg-kicking, so... <laughs> oh, my God. I'm oh doing it, mate. God. I'm doing it. <laughs> First He's episode twisting back, the, one twisting minute the, in. Twisting the knife in. You stayed up for fucking pantsless Emmerdale. That's what you stayed <laughs> up for. <laughs> yeah, you know what, mate? It's, it's so Spandex proper. Coronation Street. That's mate, what you did. So proper for men. And I sit on the edge of my seat and fucking love it, mate. Are they? <laughs> I absolutely fucking love it. Just at R4 in the morning, just like, but where's the suitcase? The ladder was there. <laughs> <laughs> that punch looked really real then. I reckon he did that on purpose. <laughs> oh, Look mate. how much the table cracked as if it was made of foam. <laughs> hey, mate, you loved it at WrestleMania. Come on, man. Don't, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't honestly, pull this fucking shit on me. Mate, honestly, we're, we're yeah. into it. mate that Kofi Kingston-Daniel Bryan match at WrestleMania, when, when fucking Kofi Kingston won, mate, me and you were popping the fucking TikTok. Yeah, the pop. That. Absolutely incredible. Also, I want to point out that NBC, the American Network Television Show, are producing a TV show called Young... Rock. Oh, like shit, I saw that advertised today. Yeah, mate, do you know what? That could be really good or absolutely terrible. It's going to be one or the other. It's, it's, it looks like it's bordering on terrible, but yeah. um, I, I, want, I want to see if I can find like a link to one episode and then send it to you and you have your what, thoughts mate? on the matter. Do you know what, mate? If I get a fucking bullshit bit of comedy that's not very funny, but a little bit of insider info on further information on The Rock's career, then fucking same, because The Rock is actually quite secretive on his pro wrestling oh, career. He, he does, really? he does he, mate, he's done like interviews about, about it, but mm. as opposed to like, for like, for example, Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho does like a weekly podcast. I know almost everything about Chris Jericho's career because he's talking about it week on week. Uh, whereas, and it's the same for Stone Cold Steve Austin as well. Uh, but for The Rock, yeah. who like he left wrestling in 2004, uh, came back for a few matches between the years of 2012 and 2011, sorry, and 2013, and then yeah. went off and did his fucking billionaire acting career. Um, don't, he, he doesn't really speak about it much. So you know what, mate? As, as shit as it will most likely be, if I get two minutes of finding out, oh shit, The Rock wrestled here, wrestled this guy when he was 20 and did this kind of thing and we didn't know this before, then I'll fucking take it, mate. But the, let's be honest, it's going to be quite bad, isn't it? <laughs> the <laughs> it, it, doesn't look, it doesn't look superb. It does <clears> not. <throat> um, but yeah, I'm, 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 well, I'm well in for you. But yes, let's, let's begin. Let's begin. Uh, we are a fortnightly rock and metal show sponsored by Stereo Brand Records. We're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much wherever you listen to your podcast. Wherever you are listening, 
please subscribe and follow. It's the best way to support us as a podcast. On this week's show and the first episode of the year, uh, we've got album reviews from The Dirty Nil with their new album, Fuck Art, uh, You Meet 60 Sucker Punch, and Lonely the Braves, The Hope List. Uh, plus, we've got the first Chris Meets of the year, and that is with Mo, Lonely the Braves drummer. So that is three rock albums that we're reviewing this week, and one of them's bloody rubbish, isn't it, Sam? It is really, really, really disappointing. <laughs> one of them, one yeah. of them is fucking shit. Um, we'll let you guess which one that is next on the Noise <laughs> Podcast. Um, not much happened while we were away on the podcast, did it, Sam? Apart from um, the biggest attack on democracy uh, in our lifetime, uh, the further explosion of the pandemic. Uh, what else happened? Um, oh, fucking, um, we sold out the fishermen uh, on the Brexit deal. <laughs> that that that's yes, we did. that's exploded as well. So uh, it's been nice and quiet, hasn't it, Sam? In the one month that we've had off the podcast, <laughs> fucking, it's literally <laughs> been like fucking. Literally, I thought the second we finished press to record on the album of the year show, just flames ignited world over. Fucking wild. It has been um, a shit show, like which we have never seen um, since the podcast stopped and restarted. We not we might need to constantly record podcasts. Because clearly we might be the only thing keeping the blankets of humanity clutched together <laughs> at this at this at this stage. Um, but yeah, I, 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 Donald Trump had his Spotify and Snapchat taken away from him like a teenage girl, and that was only like the fifth weirdest thing to happen in the last three weeks. And it is just absolutely fucking absurd. I I, I don't know what's I don't know what's going on anymore. I the the the. I read headlines now that just seem cut out of a fever dream. Like, I just don't understand what's happening anymore in our world. Seeing Donald Trump get his Twitter taken away and his other accounts of social media, it reminded me of that tweet that, like, still gets retweeted and passed around today. You see where, like, there's... I'm assuming she's, like, a teenage girl and, like, she's like, oh, my mum's took my phone off me, so I'm tweeting from my DS. And then, like, a mom figures out to take a DS from it. And the next tweet is like, do you know where the, the tweet tweets come with like a location of where they're sent from? So the one came up from like Nintendo 3DS, and then a mom obviously figured it out and took the DS off her. And she's like, I'm tweeting this from my Wii U. And it had like the location Nintendo Wii U. And then obviously a mom figured it out and took that one off her. And she, <laughs> the next tweet is like, I'm talking to my fridge at the moment. I don't even know whether this works. And like, literally, the location is like LG Smart Refrigerator. It's fucking amazing. Like the, fucking the last one. Speaking to a fridge. <laughs> the last one is the Microsoft Excel document that Kelly Rowland sent Nelly. I'm wondering why he wasn't texting video. back. <laughs> yeah, she like holds her arms up and goes into the window. Like, bro, you sent her a spreadsheet. <laughs> like, what's he meant to do? As you can see from these figures, you ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> fucking amazing. Um... Let's get into the news, man. Um, and it's, it, it fucking sucks majorly uh, for us to have to start the first episode of the year uh, with such a bad uh, piece of news to talk about right off the bat. But uh, Children of Bodom guitarist Alexi Laiho uh, passed away at the age of 41 um, after a, a long a battle with, a, with a, an illness. Um, there's been a massive outpouring of support for him, Sam, which, which I'm assuming you, you've also uh, seen on Twitter. Indeed. And, and I think that shows like what a tremendous guy he must have been. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to, to be well-versed on Children of Bodom. Uh, but I, I do know 
that he was absolutely an influential part of like the spread of death metal in the late 2000s. And I believe, Sam, uh, he was even part of a Metal Hammer cover feature, which for a death metal band tells you everything you need to know about his ability and how he was uh, looked upon in the industry. Completely agree. Massively well-respected guitarist. Incredible guitarist. I mean, you listen to some of the children of bottoms, but whatever you take on that, that brand of metal is, there is no debate about his abilities as an instrumentalist and all that sort of stuff. He's just an incredible, incredible musician. And um, was like a real face for like, um, like in the mid, late 2000s, early 2010s, was like a reignition of like Scandinavian metal. You know, you got Nightwish and Children of Bottom and uh, Dimmu Borgir and all these sort of bands that became very, very popular during a period of time. Um, and... Alex Leo was a, was a face for that. I remember him being considered quite like sort of like like a Vilvalo type, like sort of like a charismatic, um, attractive figure in the metal industry. And I think that that again speaks to his charisma and long lasting impact. But I mean, if you listen to so, like this is some children bottom stuff, man. Some of it bangs, man. Like like honest to God, they've written some absolutely cracking tunes. When it, when he died, it, I, I went back and listened to the the song "Needle Twenty Four Seven by Children of Bottom. It just starts with just this raging guitar lick, and clearly an incredibly well respected person across the music industry, as you mentioned. And like you say, the tributes that have fallen as a result um, speak to the influence and the impact that he's made. And I think that's all that can be all that can be said about him. It's just such a shame he was so young. Yeah. Um, is it like underlying health conditions or previous illnesses and things like that? That obviously he must have dealt with for a long period of time, but Christ, man, like he was barely, <laughs> barely halfway through his life. In twenty twenty, to die, to die, to die in the forties, it just should be unheard of. Really, it's just such a shame. But yeah, if, man, I, if yeah. I remember correctly, Children of Bottom were the f- were the first big band that Noise ever interviewed when we were just like That's starting right. out, and that was before That's I came right. on board. Before this, long before I came on board, and I can't remember for certain, but I believe that Alexi was part of that interview um, and was more than happy to speak to just a bunch of star tapes that fucking had just started a website uh, when he didn't have to at all. Um, wow. Again, I think that speaks to the kind of person that he was. And that, like I said, that was during the period of Children at the Bottom, like a really, really, not that they're not a big name now, but there was a period where he was on the front cover of Metal Hammer and Children at the Bottom were like fucking huge for the death metal scene. So, I think that speaks to the kind of person that he was um, and obviously condolences to uh, family, friends and loved ones and rest in peace to a tremendously talented guitarist. I completely agree. Uh, Sam, we kind of spoke about it earlier, but let's speak about it in the sense of uh, fucking (laughs) metal bands or or fucking um, people who are part of metal bands turning up at the uh, Capitol building, right? Um, I stirred guitarist John Schaefer uh, was spotted at Capitol Building Riots, as was King 810 vocalist uh, David Gunn. Um, right, I'm going to start with uh, John Schaefer first, Sam. Yeah. And then I'm going to go on to David Gunn because there, there are some um, quite stark differences between the two. Um, so John Schaefer was actually uh, spotted inside the building. Of, of the inside Capitol building um, during the actual riots and, and quite visibly uh, taking part in them. Um, and I was wondering, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, John Schaefer is the guitarist for Iced Earth. And I was wondering, I mean, how the fuck do Iced Earth play this? I mean, how, how, what, what the fuck um, are they, are they going to, how do they 
spin this now. Uh, the band did put out this following statement. Uh, we want to thank those of you who have sent words of support in recent days. Some of you have been concerned by our silence, which we understand. We needed some time to properly process the information and find out some facts before we made the statement. First and foremost, we absolutely do not condone, nor do we support riots or the acts of violence that the rioters were involved in on January 6th at the US Capitol building. We hope that all those involved that day are brought to justice to be investigated and answer for their actions. With broken hearts, we are sending our love and compassion to everyone who has felt pain from the events on January 6th. We are deeply saddened and our hearts go out to the families of the lives lost that day. There are no proper words to console. Just know we are with you in your shock, grief and pain. Much love to all. Since then, Sam, uh, the Washington field office released 40 photos of people who are suspected of unlawful activity during the, uh, the violent kind of insurrection at the US Capitol building, of which John Schaefer is actually photographed as one of them. He's one of the people um, that they want to talk to. Uh, Sam, John Schaefer's career is over, isn't it? Let's be honest, he, his career is over, surely. Yeah, absolutely. He's a domestic terrorist and also, yeah. you know, she should be brought to justice as as well as the crimes to music for being in Iced Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the worst thing he's done. Yeah. FBI would have put it in because did you hear your last album? Do you want know, we need to talk about this? Um, but on a, on a, on a serious level, um, yeah, anybody, anybody that was part of that protest in any way, ironic or not, and we'll get to that later, mm. Um, should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves and should absolutely be brought to justice because it was an act of domestic terrorism, the likes of which we haven't seen in America or any Western country for a century. Mm, <laughs> I want to yeah. say I, I can't even I can't even think of a comparable circumstance barring the civil rights movement where there'd been such a clash between the um, the police and um, or you know a lack of in some cases the police and 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 and, and people trying to engage in, in in clear acts clear acts of terrorism um it's just a utterly utterly horrible thing um to have to have to have taken place and a reflection of the sad state of affairs that's going on not just in america but but across our world in terms of race relations and politics and, and all that sort of stuff so yeah um what i will say um is that there are bad policemen there are bad pilots there are bad bus drivers or bad teachers and clearly there are people who work in the music industry as well who have terrible opinions and do shocking things and, yeah. and you know we are not exempt and it's a shame because you know you build a fandom and they you know you hold people in a certain regard and obviously the joke i made about oyster earth aside is that they have a big following mm-hmm. like i was i was having a, i was having a, i was having a flick through their spotify um earlier before before we came on just to sort of uh, check that i could definitely say that they were rubbish and they actually are um, but they have got <laughs> 9 million views, 4 million views on, 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 on sort of on, on listens on Spotify. They're a massive band and clearly there'd be a lot of people that would be incredibly affected by, by this and that their heroes are reflected in this way. Mm. They've condemned it. Iced Earth have. Yeah. And they haven't actually confirmed that they'll be dealing with John Schaefer. But I mean, like if the dude's been arrested, then obviously he's, 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 <laughs> his role in Iced Earth is, is, is over. I mean, they're they're giving travel bans to these people, yeah. so they can't tour with John either way. So it's an it's an, imprac- it's an impracticality. Even if they were trying to be forgiving of his viewpoints, um, which I absolutely 
obviously con- <laughs> condemning the highest order. These yeah. viewpoints should not be tolerated in any in any in any circumstance at all. But it's so, like yeah, that's it. It's over. Even if, but so let's say you know he's arrested and he serves a year in jail. Like it's not like he can come out of jail and go back into the ban. Like it's not like he's going into jail for like aggravated assault after a night out. Do you know where where there can be like oh uh, John uh, made a massive mistake uh, on on an evening night. He got too drunk and he beat the shit out of someone, which he should not do. And um, we condemn that. And he made a mistake, but he served his time. And now, we, and now we feel comfortable having him back in the band because he served yeah. his time in jail. He, they can't do that here, can they? Because, like you said, no. the guy is a domestic terrorist. That you know, it can't. That, I, I just don't see how they could possibly stand on a stage or walk into a studio with John as part of the setup and receive any kind of credibility. I mean, I would imagine if they do keep him in the band, I'd imagine their record label would be like, "See you later, guys. We're fucking out of here." Um, as well oh, as any kind of booking agent as well. Um, so uh, John Schaefer, holy shit, he's co- surely um, his career is fucking over. So, but moving on to David Gunn, Sam, this is like uh, this is where I suppose the conversation um, I, I might get a little bit more blurred between us because Kingate 10's vocalist uh, David Gunn uh, was also uh, spotted uh, as. Well, okay, I'll tell you what, instead of me uh, trying to define what his role was in the protest, I will just say, I will just describe his statement. Uh, there was a picture released on social media where it looked very, very much like David Gunn happened to be uh, in attendance at the protest, uh, to which he responded, I'm the singer of the most hated band in America, where else would I be? Um, he carried on saying, sorry to disappoint everyone, but I cannot also admit to being a racist, bigot, homophobe, sexist, fascist, alt-right, or whatever you whack jobs are on this week, etc., etc. I appreciate the compliments on my jacket, however, it's not for sale, although our new album is. I was not trying to keep this under wraps. As you can see, I'm swagged the fuck out with no mask on in front of 100 cameras because I'm doing nothing wrong. The feds have found me already, and there isn't a single image of me, quote-unquote, rioting or going inside the building. I'm not as dumb as my hairline suggests. I couldn't care less if you stop following me or stop listening to my music because I never even cared to begin with. Um, he claimed that he was at the protest, Sam, uh, to be uh, to kind of film the band's next video. Um, what do you make of this? This is a lot more. Blur- the lines are a lot more blurred here than with John Schaaf, is there? Because there, he is correct. There is no photo of him inside the building or actually rioting. There's just a photo of him there. So I suppose the lines do get more blurred here. I think he's a gigantic tool, regardless. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if you are using the biggest attack on democracy in the 21st century as fodder for your own music video, then I think you're a prick. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's the equivalent of some German bloke artistically photographing Nazis because it all looked great on his wall. And he said, oh, I'm not involved. I just think it's great art. Yeah, yeah. you fucking weirdo. Um, and then the obnoxiousness of this statement where it's like, I'm the front man of the most hated band in the world. Mate, fuck 95% off, most of, hated band in America. Not, 95% of Americans don't know who the fuck you are. Um, like I'm, I, I, I like King Jack 10's first album, but stop acting like you fucking in Motley Crue in 1987 or Guns N' Roses in 1989 or something like that. 
Yeah. Like you don't, you are a blot on the inkwell of society. Um, and pretending that you're cool because you're like, you know, I'm just filming it for my, for, for our music video and trying to include it. Fuck off because, um, you are great. Congratulations that you're not a domestic terrorist. Fantastic. But you're, you're using the imagery of domestic terrorism to support your own music. Um, almost not aligning yourself with it, but using the footage to further your own ego and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then like calling out the internet for like thinking that you're a part of this. Like you were in, you were, you were in the riots. What were people meant to, what people meant to think and meant to assume? Um, I just think this guy is a gigantic tool who seems to think that the, he's have an opinion of himself that he's just entirely removed, removed from reality. I, I don't think I, I don't think it's blurred in terms of was he involved, was he not? I don't think. I just think it's very clear that he's a prick, and and that 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 is the end. That is the end. That is the intake that I have from this because this is just just absurdly obnoxious in yeah. any way. Yeah. In every way, just incredibly, incredibly obnoxious to be able to look at something like that and think, oh, you know what that is, guys? That's great fodder for the next King Gate Ten album, which is for sale. Unlike my jacket. Uh, Oh, what a tosser. Um, I think w- what I was getting by blurred lines is this isn't the end of his career, though, is he? Like, it's, no, it, King, no, it's King, not. King, King no. Gate 10 don't have to get, get him out of the band now. It's just quite evident that he's an idiot. But, y- you know, Stephen Carpenter from Deftones was on a fucking podcast in, Dece- in like November saying that he thinks the, he believes Flat Earth conspiracy. Do you know what I mean? So, like, like David Gunn is an idiot, but King Out 10 don't have to get him out of the band now. He happened to be at the... He, he was there, but he didn't... By what we know at the moment, there was no unlawful act committed. So, he can remain a part of King Out 10. It's just, he's just basically admitted to more of the population that knew him already. Hey, by the way, I'm a bit of a dick. But I just thought it was... It's it's really- the Still two really sides are interesting, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Still enjoying this. I just thought the two sides were interesting, considering John Schaefer and David Gunn in terms of the consequences for them both. Because one career is over, and the other one now we just know he's a dick. Because I, I, I didn't care enough about David Gunn to try and find out what his views were or, or look and look into his personality previously. Because King Eight Ten don't do very much for me. But now I just know that when we see King Eight Ten support. Malev, Alpha Wolf, and Thy Art is Murder at the end of next this year, hopefully. Um, we'll just know. Hey, that guy's a dick. Yeah, he's 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 one of those he's one of those dudes that's like, I don't vote because they're all corrupt and politics is a mess and I'm not part of the system. But like, you know, my hometown needs water, please. And it's like <laughs> um take part in the fucking system, then dude, stop it, it get involved in the idea of democracy that creates public services for people you fucking knobhead he, 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 he's one of those people that thinks that we should all just take down society and just live in fucking caves and yeah. just survive he, he's just a dick um it was an utter utter dick um and yeah it's a shame because like i said i i went when king out 10 came out i was really really enthusiastic about them first up and i really like their first album the first album really, is really all right to be fair i don't like it but i don't I don't dislike it. There's 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 a couple but, of bangers on there. Yeah. So it, obviously, by contrast, it, it did bits for me. But this is uh this has soured me on them because he's just a tool. 
Final news piece of the episode, Sam, and it's probably going to be the shortest one that we discussed, to be honest, because I've only got one thing I actually want to ask you from you. Uh, Lars Ulrich has said that the next Metallica album uh, will be the best yet. Uh, he was having uh, some interview uh, where he was talking about the current state uh, of Metallica and what they've been up to. Uh, he said that uh, they've been busy during uh, the last year or so uh, writing, and he, he made comment to say that you know that they all everything that they go to do, they put the mind to be to try and get it to be the best thing they've ever done. That's why they're still doing this. Um, so Sam, we've been paying attention to uh, alternative music for long enough to know that um, when it's coming up near to the time that bands are going to be releasing new music, they say they say these things. Oh, it's our best album. It's our heaviest album, or it's our heaviest album since. It's a classic way of pushing and keeping Metallica in hearts and minds. For some reason, I feel like Metallica are in the news for every single episode that we ever do. And that is not a mistake. That is done on purpose. Metallica are kept in your hearts and minds, whether you're listening to fucking Ride the Lightning for a millionth time, or you've seen Lars Ulrich say whatever he says, and then Metal Hammer Palace an article because it's fucking Lars Ulrich. So we're not going to pick this apart. Sam, I would like you to give me a percentage of chance that you believe the next Metallica album will be the best yet. Um, to quote Andy Bernard from The Office, if I had to give it a percentage, I would have to give it non-percent. I would give it a generous 20% chance. You think there's a one in five shot this is better than Master of Puppets? I'm coming around your yard now. No, because, and the reason... The... <laughs> <laughs> one in five? Yeah, no. They'll produce five albums and one of those is going to be better than Master of Puppets. No, I hate you. No, but four, <laughs> four, out of, four out of them are nowhere near. I'm being generous and giving them a one, out, one in five chance because it's Metallica, and I and okay. I believe and I believe in the quality of Metallica, and I think that, uh, and we're not going to get into the discussion that we had a couple of a few weeks ago. But I think Metallica are a band that, after Hardwired, they do still have it, and Hardwired was oh. nowhere near Master of Puppets. Um, but I, I do believe that Metallica still have it, so. I think there's an 80% chance now, but I think there's a 20% chance that they roll out this oh. fucking abs- roll, so, uh, roll in a landmine. So I will ask you, this would be Metallica's 10th studio album. Right, 10th. Yeah. What are the chances in your view that it is a top seven album? Um, so discounting the first five, because let's be honest, um, but it, is it going to be as good as Load? I think there's a. Let's say. I, I think there's a. Right. What you're asking, but I feel like what you're asking me there is do I think Hardwired is as good as Load? That's what you're asking me, isn't it? I'm asking if this is a new album. Yeah, no. be better than Hardwired, better than Death Magnetic, and around the Load, St. Well, better than St. Anger. And then in that Load, top six to seven category, yeah. outside of the, you know, the. I'm discounting the Kill 'Em All to Black Album period. Yeah, because it's just no, no, you can't. But is it? Could it? Does it have the chance? All right. Does it have the chance to be the best non-peak? The best post? Yeah, the best yeah. post Black Album album. What are the chances of that? I think In there's a fifty. I, I think there's a fifty percent chance. Fifty of it, it be because what? what that's like, high, that, and no, and no, but that's that's why I said what you're asking me there is. Do I think? that Hardwired is better than Load Because if, if you said to me, gun to my head right now, Chris, tell me the album of quality that you think this album will, this next album will be closest to, I'd probably say Hardwired. Because I thought Hardwired was, for a lot of metal bands, the best thing they'll ever write. But it was just a good Metallica album. 
Right. So just for, just to clarify for you is say say the bottom is St Anger for you. Yeah. The eighth burst the, the eighth eighth album is Death Magnetic. Is then um, it, then it's hardwired, then it's load, then it's the top five in whatever order you've got them. Yeah, I think um, it would be Death Magnetic and then Hardwired and then... Um, all right, so that, that's Hardwired 7th out, out of 9. Yeah. So, all right, the new album, if it's better than Hardwired, it's already just the, the, the least loady. Yeah. Oh, then, then Reload, I'm putting those two together. Uh, that's yeah. fine. But I, I, think, I, think, I think there's a 50% chance that it's better than Load because I think Load... Uh, we've do, we've do, if, if Load and Reload were one album... I'd be back on my eighty twenty again. But if you're asking me yeah, specifically about if you're asking me specifically about load, uh, then I'd say there's there's a fifty percent chance because loads of loads a good album, isn't it? It's a good album yeah. with some fucking yeah. great songs on. And Hardwired Agreed. is a good album with some fucking great songs on. I think Muffin to yeah. Flame is is one of the better songs that Metallica have written since. Have you um, have you re-listened to it at all? I haven't really listened to Hardwired since um the week before we went to see them at Etihad. When was that? 2018? 2019. We went to see them at the Etihad Stadium. Oh, mate, that's made me sad. 2019, we went to the Etihad Stadium to see them. It was, fucking, it was a really good time, that was. Uh, yeah, was. I, I haven't listened to Hardwire since then. And that was when they funny they finished on Lords of Summer. Do you remember? Before they really did, odd. before they did, obviously nothing else matters than Sandman. They played Lords of Summer. We were like, I mean, yeah, but couldn't you just be at the bow? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it was it was a weird it was a weird set list. But yeah, that was the last time I, I listened to Hardwired, um, and it was a double album. Which uh, did it have to be? Uh, no, um, but whatever it was, whatever it was, <laughs> and I I liked it, and I think it was a for a lot of metal album for a lot of metal bands it'd be the best thing they ever write. But for Metallica, it was just a good Metallica album, um, but it had some really good stuff on it. So yeah, I, I, I think there's a fifty percent chance this next album that comes will be better than. Uh, load one thing we will say is that mate we're getting it fucking damn sight sooner than we used to get Metallica albums obviously they've had an extra year that they wouldn't have had that's what I was that, that's what I was going to say um, um, sort of um, sort of tangential to that is that because they're all locked together like fuck all else there's a chance the content could be really good because yeah. they're not distracted and pulled away by tours and the usual Metallica machine that's like oh you, you've got to stop writing because we've got this press event and you've got to release this game here and there's we need to have you interviewing with Jimmy Fallon and yeah. we've got you on Sirius XM. Do you know what I mean? Whereas they're literally like Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield, especially James who's come out of rehab. Mm-hmm. Poor bloke. He had to lock himself away from society when um, we were all out. And now he's come out of rehab and he can't go anywhere and do anything. And he's just locked in his house battling, I assume still the demons. That's, that's got to be very tough. Poor yeah. bloke there. Um, so I imagine I'd hope um, as a Metallica fan, that all of that excess boredom and, and, and stuff as well, because a lot of their kids have grown up. Yeah. You know, they're not fathering like in the way that they were. If you watch this anger video and they're taking kids back and forth from school and stuff like that, they're not in that world anymore. So maybe they've got all hundred percent of their time is on the music. And that would be, that would be really nice. I mean, there's a picturesque idea, isn't there, Sam, of Metallica being in the studio consistently for like, four or five months and just rolling on great idea after great idea after great idea and excellent song idea after excellent song idea. Um, how realistic is that? That's difficult for us to know, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a great, there's a good chance the album will be great, 
there's a great chance the album will be good. I think that's fair. I, th- I think that's fair. I think the, I mean, if you put James Hetfield in a studio for six months, he's going to do something good. Yeah. Riffs, yeah. There? yeah. There's going to be five or six great riffs, aren't they? Just, they just are. Um, and I'm excited to see where they are. The, the thing now is, is on Hardwired, I felt there were a lot of great moments, but not a lot of completely great songs. You know what I mean? Like I always found myself being like, I love that bit in, I love that bit in, and and I, I wanted to sort of come together a little bit. Like I felt, I felt like the only like Heart Hell on Fire is one of the complete great songs on that album, mm. but it's it's not it's not one of many. And I'm hoping maybe that they can actually start getting back a little to the Metallica construction of of these songs that used to they used to fit together so seamlessly, rather than it feeling like bolt on where it's like one idea then one idea then one idea I, mm. the metallic houston mastered the transition of riff to riff and i'm hoping that maybe with the extra time they can really start working on how the songs go because they say themselves like you put the album out and then six months later you're listening back and thinking oh i wish we'd done that I wish we'd done that and i said that loads about certain albums and things so maybe with the extra time they can really have a, a critical eye on what they're doing for some reason i feel like something's going to happen they're also going to be in the news in two weeks time just <laughs> Is it just they're just no? I think Metallica are the band that we've definitely spoke about most on this podcast. I mean, obviously because they're the greatest metal band of all time, but also they're just but there's always just something uh, going on with them. But completely agrees. We will segue out of the news now, Sam, and we will go into album reviews. Uh, we are going to start, Sam, with the Dirty Nil Fuck Art. It was released on January the first on Dine Alone Records. It's the Canadian punk's third record and the follow-up to 2018's Master Volume. Um, This album has been out for just over two weeks already, so we won't spend too much time on this, Sam, because people listening, there's a decent chance they've already heard the record uh, several times by now. But I I, I really wanted to speak to you about this album regardless. Uh, A few weeks ago, Sam, I, I reached out to you, and I was like, what do you think of 90s rock? Do you remember what you said? I can't remember what I said. You were like, I'm really, really neither here nor there, aren't you, Chris? <laughs> like, as if, like, I felt like that was you saying, Chris, if you're about to, like, say, oh, should we review a 90s rock band for the first time so back on the podcast, you're going to have to really sell me on it, uh, is, is what I took from that. So I asked you because I'd had the album for, for right. a, um, about a week or two before then because I was reviewing it for Distorted Sound. Um, so... I knew this record was going to be in discussion. So I wanted to gauge where you were on 90s rock before we actually started speaking about it. Uh, Sam, I'm going to throw this out there and see what you think. Uh, This is the best Green Day album since 21st Century Breakdown, at least. Is it not? Yeah, it is. It is the best Green Day album since 21st Breakdown, at least. At least. I completely agree. But we could argue since American Idiot... uh, I will argue that I, I, I'm going to, I've always, I, I'm on the plane that Dave Green Day have written two great albums and that's my opinion. But, um, this is, this is really good. I understand entirely why you like this album within about seven seconds. <laughs> Made that opening riff on Doom Boy. Fucking get yeah. in there. Um, but I've, I've written some, I've written some thoughts that the more, the more that I started writing, I'm thinking, ah, I get it. So these sounds, like you as a listener, if you'll allow me to explain. Yeah, so they, they sound like they used to be a pop punk band and they've grown up a bit. So like they sound like they were 
a Sum 41, Jimmy Eat World type early 2000s pop punk band, right? And then they all turned into their late 20s, early 30s and then started to slow down. The lyrics got a bit heavier, the lyrics got a bit more introspective. And then they've come to this sort of rock sound. And it's like you. So you started off as a pop punk listener. Yeah. And as you've got older, you've got into bands like the Menzingers and Holding Absence and you've slowed down a bit. And you become more introspective and the riffs have got heavier. And like yeah. that, I think that's like almost like a reflection of, of you as a listener. And that's why I think you've gravitated to this. I think if I played you this when you were 23, you wouldn't be interested. There's a chance, uh, I think you, possibly. Yeah. I, I just don't think you're mentally there yet. I just think you'd have thought, oh, it, you know, it's not upbeat enough. You know, it, where's the, you know what I mean? Like you'd have been like, I need this particular type sound thing for me to interact with it. And I think this actually is a more reflective of a bit more maturity from as you've grown up. You, your music changes doesn't mind us too. Um, but I really like this. I really like this. There's, um, there's a feeling that they're sort of like Creeper's little brother at times during this in terms of the way that the, the lyrics are kind of sarcastic and hubristic yeah. and sort of like, oh, woe is me, but it's, it's all right though, isn't it? Like that sort of vibe. Um, like I enjoyed sort of like the quirky riffs I like done with drugs. Um, I enjoyed the, the chord changes on Doomboy. I thought that were really nice. Felt really early 2000s. Absolutely feels like these would be supporting the Menzingers in six months. Um, and, and, and it feels a little bit like if you... If you'd have put Yumi at six in a different pathway, put them in a different train station, they would have gone in this direction rather than the direction that they that chose. Same with Defavana, there's possibilities of that sort of stuff as well. Mm, um, mm. But I, I quite liked it. I wanted to point out one song that I particularly loved on it, and I thought the song Possession, oh, which is a song yeah. of the album, mm. um, because I love the chorus and you know the down down now down now now yeah yeah reminds Sick. me of the darkness yeah yeah that's a yo Rose. dude that's a fucking good shout. The, the the big chords and the gaps, you know, when the chord stops and you hear the drum beat carry on and the vocals yeah. carry on, that's a big darkness thing that was back in the early 2000s. And I was like, oh shit, that's, I love that little motif that they do there. Um, I, I don't think it's super from start to finish. I think there are some filler tracks, I'll be honest. I think um, sort of like Elvis 77 is a bit gimmicky. Uh, the, the, the question number one shit, I, I was, uh, that, that missed me with that. Um, but the the rest the rest of it was 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 not bad at all. I thought Damage Control, Possession, and Doom Boy and Done with Drugs were all great songs. Um, but I think overall a good album. And if Green Day I'd, Green Day brought this out, I'd you'd be dancing around the room. Yeah, <laughs> if you put Billy because because I don't think the guy's got a bad vocal at all. I think oh, Luke Bentham is great. But if Billy Joel's singing this. Billy Joel. Oh. <laughs> Billy Joel. Billy Joel. That'd be a strange one, wouldn't it? Fucking piano man covering the dirty nail. <laughs> Sing me a song. <laughs> fucking piano man. Piano oh, man. In- oh, incredible. Oh, uh, yeah, if Billy Joel was singing this, I would be interested, actually, on a side <laughs> note. Um, but yeah, if, if Billy Joel Armstrong was actually putting a front to this, I think you'd be fucking buzzing. Yeah. Um, it, does, it does sound like uh, a pop-punk band going through like a... Uh, like a mid thirties identity change, and 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 that I actually I actually enjoyed that. I I thought it was a, I thought it was a good album. I thought it was a fun listen. Oh well, this I'm, I'm assuming this is your fir- the first time you've ever listened to the Dirty Now. It was yeah, I really yeah. this morning. So so I'm gonna just quickly uh, point out that the Dirty Now have never been a pop punk band. They, they they've always kind of sounded like this. They've always been okay. like punk rock and 
rock and hard rock kind of turned up to 11. Um, but, but I absolutely get your point. And there's also the idea, this will be the best pop punk album of the year, won't it? Even though a lot of it doesn't sound a lot like pop punk. The, the, the State champs write this and we'd be buzzing. Yeah, yeah. You specifically, specifically yeah. The, the, the few moments of this record that are pop punky, the, that's the best that pop punk will ever get this year because uh, I think this, this album is great. Um, it's hilarious to me, Sam, that there was a video floating around the internet last month of Machine Gun Kelly saying the problem with modern rock is that like, no one dresses like rock stars and, and you know, people yeah, aren't uncomfortable. On, leather jackets. People twice. aren't uncomfortable on stage. It's all about the look. And then two weeks after that video gets released on Spotify, the Dirty Nil drop a record that is everything that contemporary rock should be. Um, it's witty. It's wonderfully produced. Uh, it, I feel cleverly written and so, so catchy. Um, I'm going to have to ask for your forgiveness here, Sam, um, for how self-fucking-serving I'm about to be. But I'm going to read you the, a, a paragraph from my review that I did uh, for Distorted Sound only because it's the best way of me telling you what I think about the record. Um, I'm in. Let's do it. The old Bill Simmons trick. I'm well in. <laughs> Witty, intelligent and bold, Fuck Art is a 40-minute diatribe of lunacy in the modern age. Social media habits, a general lack of fulfilment and a fear of affection are just three of the common millennial downfalls that end up in the Canadians' crosshairs on their new record. Expect an album of misery-laced gripes at your peril, though. Instead of stretching out the phrase, life's a bit shit, isn't it, over 11 songs, the three-piece use a sense of wit and outrageous melody to leave a smile on your face and skip in your step, even if you're the brunt of the joke. And I think that leads brilliantly into the opening song, Doom Boy. That song is taking the piss out of me. The lyric, tell me, girl, do you like the crow mags and turnstile? I reckon there's a decent chance I've asked that someone. I've asked someone that before. There's a good chance that... I, that, think, I've, that, I think I've been there while that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that is me. Um, you know, they're taking the piss out of me. But that, that song, mate, that chorus on Doom Boy, uh, mate... Big? If, if anything, I need a summer for me, you, and our best friend Leon to be driving somewhere in the sun and I fucking turn that up on full volume because that chorus is absolutely brilliant. Um, and that's what this album's brilliant at, taking the piss but doing it in this kind of hook-driven way where the songs just get fucking nailed into your head. Um, Blunt Force Concussion, the chorus on that, I've been, I'm still humming now. Um, I've been listening to the album for a month. I still hum it daily. I actually really like Elvis 77 and Done With Drugs. Um, a fucking Luke Bentham's voice on that is brilliant. Um, just a quick note here as well. Those opening guitar lines on Done With Drugs sound like something you'd hear on, on the in-betweeners or, or from the one back right. <laughs> yeah. do, you know, do, you know, do you know when yeah. the in-betweeners hits its credits and it's got like, like an indie 2000s rock guitar yeah. like from maybe like the Libertines or the Wombats? Mate, the Dirty Neil fill that fill that void as well. Um, I think this album is is great, and I think it's got loads of what contemporary rock is is, is should be in twenty twenty. What makes contemporary rock at least interesting takes the piss. It's funny, well produced, and so so infectious. Um, so we're not going to spend too much longer because it's been out for two weeks. But I really really wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I'm absolutely delighted that you like the album, Sam. Um, yeah, I really, really did. I really did. We are going to move on to Yumi at Six, mate. Sucker Punch. It's the Surrey Rockers' right. seventh album. God, we are so old. Fuck, we are old. Yumi at Six have done seven albums, mate. Fuck. 
Um, it was released, as me and Sam record this, two days ago, on Friday, the 15th of January, on AWOL Recordings. Um, Sam, I think we're, we're about to have a discussion about something of a downslide in the career of Yumi at six. Um, but this, is, this will be an interesting caveat. Can I point out first that I think there's a genuine chance that, and not that this would reflect quality, but I'm just saying, I think there's a genuine chance of this album getting number one in the album chart because out of curiosity, I checked and literally nothing else is out this week. And last week's number one was a solo record from Barry Gibb. Who the fuck is that? Barry Gibb is from the BGs, bro. It, What's he need a solo album for? <laughs> and he was like, I think it was like... He's like, in the BGs. Well, I think... He, I think oh, Why has he got fucking death metal tunes he's just never been able to release? I thought the BGs really held me back from writing on my contemporary pop. Well, he's, he's the final surviving BG. Um, oh, he's the B. So, so I, I'm not sure, Sam. And this is what fascinates me, right? How the fuck did fans of the BGs know it was coming out? Because I'm going to take a wild stab in They'll the dark. They'll get a bat signal. Literally, <laughs> Sam. I'm going to take a wild stab <laughs> in the dark here, and I'm going to assume that the average demographic of people that bought this new Barry Gibb album, I'm going to say 60 plus. Did he fucking fax them to say it was coming out? How the fuck did they know? You know what I mean? they, heard a full, they heard a falsetto on the wind. <laughs> <laughs> it's time! <laughs> Um, so yeah, the reason why I've made the point of that, Sam, is because there is quite literally nothing out to compete with this uh, new Yumi at Six album. Now, what that means is, um, unless um, an album, like, I don't know, like an Ed Sheeran album or an Ariana Grande or, or you know, an album that has sustained popularity for quite a while, unless that has great sales this week, um, there's, ev- there's every chance that this album from You Meet Six is going to land in at number one, which means that the conversation that we're about to have, where I'm going to discuss with you the downside of You Meet Six's career, could be thrown straight back in my face. Um, but as we record this, obviously we don't know where the album is going to land. What I would say, Sam, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, if, if this album doesn't get number one in a week where there's literally nothing else out to compete with it, that would be like the the real full stop after the point of okay, you meet Six's career. It is quite clearly not what it was five years ago. Uh, would you agree? I think that's fair. I think I remember listening to a podcast about about sports, and they were talking about this basketball player called Carmelo, and Carmelo was really really good, but when he got to the playoffs, he was terrible. And Bill Simmons was talking about it, and he was saying, in twenty years, people that didn't watch Carmelo play basketball will look at his stats and think. That was one of the top five forwards of all time. And that's why I'm doing the podcast. So you can listen to this and I can tell you I was there. He wasn't. Right, and, yeah. it, that, and, and that's, and that, that's what the same thing is. Is Someone in 20 years might look at this Yumi at Six album and think, hey, it was number one. They were really popular in, in a cultural zeitgeist. And we're doing this podcast to tell you that at, we were there at the time. And no, it isn't. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Regardless, regardless of this, if this is number one, um, this is dreadful. Can I ask you something? Because I was thinking about this, <laughs> yeah. and I want to make I want to make sure that I have this right. Did we or did we not review a Yumi at Six single from this album early this year or la- late last year? And the interview was with the lead singer, and he said that the next album is going to be their heaviest album. 
Is that correct? Do I have we, that right? We reviewed a single from this album called Make Me Feel Alive, which is fucking shit. Yep. Um, yep. And Josh Franceschi, the vocalist of yep. Human 6, had said this would be the heaviest album since Sinners Never Sleep, which was their third right, album, okay. which was released in 2011. Right, okay. He said it's, it's going to be our heaviest... <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, really. It's really. not at all, is it? No. Um, there's a there's a there's a song on here that is called what W D What are you doing y- right now? R-N. What are you doing right now? Yeah, yeah. Do you know I'm what? Mate? I, I want to go on. Go sorry, on, sorry. I, I I was gonna say I just wanted to I wanted to I wanted to read you um, the note that I wrote as I listened to it for the first time. Yeah, it's um, FGS full stop. <laughs> <laughs> for God's is that sake. all you wrote? <laughs> Bieber impression, radio pop song. Back to this, are we? That was it. <laughs> so condescending. So condescending. Um, I think. I think this is 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 dreadful. <laughs> this is this is dreadful. Um, make me feel alive. Do you remember the band Hard Fi? Oh yeah. That sound like this sounds like Hard Fi. Yeah. That, that yellow album with the fucking security camera on the front. Yeah, and it's um, that, so hard to beat. Oh, it's a bit. Uh, oh, it's a bit. Uh, <laughs> fucking terrible. It sounds like, as well, that you, me, at six, when they write the rock songs, like Make Me Feel Alive and stuff like that, sounds like they're writing songs for those FIFA adverts where the players get locked in a cage. And it's like dark indie. Bat music plays in the background while Thierry on Reese chased with a fucking helicopter. That's what it feels like. They've written albums just for that particular timestamp. Um, um it's dreadful. It's either overly poppy and cringy and <clears throat> annoying or like this staccato, it's indie, but we turn the lights off. Isn't that cool type song that it's just yeah. dreadful. Um, like Sucker Punch and Kill the Mood, just shit. Glasgow, Glasgow was the song where I thought, all oh, right, ends quite nicely. Got a big culminative finish. Um, but... Other than that, not not really anything to write home about. Adrenaline felt like a Panic at the Disco song, but without any of the pomp and circumstance of what makes a Panic at the Disco song really interesting. Voice notes was just was just boring. I, I this 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 album is um, I didn't expect much, but it still remained disappointing because of the. I felt that at the very least it might be a all right. It might be their attempt at like a harder indie. Um, sort of album and I might be oh yeah there's a heavy couple of bits here and, and stuff like that they appear to be wasting themselves uh, and and trying to just hit the lowest common denominator with like a combination of like weak radio one hit singles and like poor excuses for indie and when when you compare You Me at Six to the the album that we just reviewed and the album that we're going to review later Lonely the Brave by comparison, You Me at Six, seven albums in, which should be their prime, seem tired. Yeah, it's fucking really, really leggy, done. Really leggy. Like this is this is this is coming to the end. Like, are we gonna be reviewing a John Franceschi album, a solo album in a couple of years? Maybe, because I think this is I think this is done. And then in twenty years they're gonna do a um, take off your colours reunion show. Or something like that. This is what's happening here. Well, I wanted to point out that as we speak, if we look at the last five years of Unit Six's career, it looks like well, last six years of Unit Six's career, it looks like this: Cavalier Youth, number one album; 
Night People, number three album, and then the sixth record, aptly titled Six, finished sixth. <laughs> um, in 2015, they did a UK co-headline arena tour with All Time Low, um, but the latest tour announcements then playing acad- academies. So let, let's point out that's still like a tremendous size for a band, isn't it? There are bands out there right now that would kill to be like a comfortable top 10 album chart band and playing academies, no doubt, yeah. you know. Regardless, that shows that there's there's been a downsliding interest. Like the, the the facts are right there. Like I say, we don't know how well this album performed as we speak. So all we've got is the stats that are right in front of us. So, and Sam, you can you can tell me how how close or far or far off the bow, and I am here. And um, I think objectively looking back and knowing what I know now, you Me six were never great songwriters, were they? No, they wrote some great songs. Yes. But they were never great songwriters. I tell you what they were great at, Sam. They absolutely fucking nailed that demographic between 14 and 22. They were amazing at doing that. The songs they wrote coincided with what was going on at the time as well. What was incredibly popular, they just did the best version of that for like three years. They were incredible. They had a real nose and a sense for what that 14, 22 demographic would really, really find interesting. Um, easy listening songs with big, simplistic choruses that can be sung along and will be eaten into by people within that age range, such as Sam. Me, you remember me at school, mate. I thought you meet six were the greatest thing in the world. You could not tell me otherwise. I would, yeah. I, I remember I this. To. You tried, I would not have it. <laughs> Their second album came out, I, I put it in your ears and you were like, it's good, isn't it? And I was like, how can you just say it's good? I don't understand how you couldn't think this is the best thing in the world. And, and what, what I think is difficult for you, me at six is because their fan base has either gone, not all of them, but a decent amount of them has either gone in my direction where I've gone further into alternative music and, and I find more complex and heavier music, more interesting now, or, they see you, me at six now. I was oh, that thing I liked when I was 16. I was such an emo. You know, if I hear say it for the bedroom, come on. Oh, yeah, I remember you used to like that when I was 16. A large percentage of the fan base has gone one of those two ways. Mate, when I was 18 years old, if me and you were at a house party and someone put on Let Live, and I'd probably stand up and say, you got any Mayday Parade, bro? It's a bit heavy for me, this. Role reversal now. If I was at a house party and someone tried to turn off Let Live to put on Yumi at six, I would violently hurt them. I, well, I would put on Mayday Parade. You'd be <laughs> apoplectic. Like, you'd be frothing in the corner. I, I would violently hurt someone if they turned off Let Live to put on fucking Yumi at six or Mayday Parade now. And I think, Sam, I think that's the... Pro- you can agree or disagree. I think, as well as them never really being great songwriters, their problem is that their 14, 22 demographic that they're fucking nailed most of them aren't there anymore because they've gone in two separate ways. What do you think? I think, I think, I think, I think there's, there's a lot I agree with what you're saying though. The thing is, is time is time, time can be recycled. So their problem is as well is while they stopped appealing to the people that turned 19, they also stopped appealing to the people that were 12 when they wrote the songs and then became 14 and 15. Yeah. And they were not producing music for that. Yeah. Um, so to, to use the Metallica example, again, I'm going to have to reference another podcast I was listening to where this guy went to the SNM2 show and he happened to be talking because he was in the, the like special area where all the, the fancy people are with all the business people in the industry. He happened to be talking to one of the people in Metallica's management company 
And he was like, he turned to him saying, because his kid was big into it, but he just took his kid. And he was like, how are these still this? And you look around yeah, all the, yeah. the, the, the fans and the, the passion. And the guy says, well, every 10 years, there's another 14-year-old kid that discovers this band. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, metal yeah, and guitars. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's them. And, and, and that's, that's really great because, you know, they, they, they came before us. And they will come after us. Yeah. And I will show my son or daughter this band, just as I was shown it by radio and my dad. Oh, oh, passes on, and I like that. There isn't that with this. So, you, me at six, did did try to grow with their fan base, and they, they wrote songs that alienated their new their aging aging fan base. But also in doing so. They stopped writing songs for the fan base that would arrive in the next couple of years. So, like, it's like ACDC are another one, and, and some punk bands are another one. Like, you could have just written You Meet Six style tunes and sounded like state champs for 15 years. And as your, as your fan base grew up, your younger fan base would have come in. Yeah. Like, yeah. In, the, in, the, in the same way that, like, mate, me and you were one years old when Dookie came out. Yeah. So there are people that were like 15 when Dookie come out, who were then 25 when American Idiot come out, that are now 40. Yeah. Are they going to be going to Green Day shows? No. But are 60,000 people at a Green Day show? Yeah. Because yeah. there are people that were, you know, grew up and they went back and then love Bastard mm. Case because it's yeah. a banger. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing, is that they've not maintained the style of music that has... Has, has maintained their sort of fan base as well. So this is the, the thing is though, there's no right or wrong way to do it because we criticise bands that just pump out the same stuff. Yeah, we do. Right? And we say, you know, where's the ambition? But at the same time, if you look at Yumi at six, that's the argument against change. That's the that's the argument why we say, well, this is good. This thing we found right here, this is getting us places. Why do we change it? And I can understand that argument now because they've, fair enough, they've tried to shift, they've tried to mally, uh, mally, uh, um, to try to change and shift and, and, and sort of move around what they've done. And it's not, it's not worked out for them. So I, it's a difficult thing to talk about. This is where it's so useful that you have been in bands, obviously nowhere near this scale. But, oh, what, no, but what I'd put to you is, imagine like... Because by the time you meet six or eighteen, they were supporting Paramore in arena, Sam. You know what I mean? Uh, well, maybe eighteen, but definitely before their twentieth birthday, they were supporting Paramore in arenas, mate. So like, they're eighteen and they're still into, they're, they're still into some forty-one. They still think Good Charlotte are a really good band, and then it's like, oh fuck, we're twenty-five now, and like, fuck, I won't listen to Good Charlotte. Good Charlotte were never good. Um, but fuck, all our fan base are like loved us when we were writing songs that kind of sounded like some forty one. But I don't want to write songs that sound like some forty one anymore. But that's what our entire fan base is built off. So what the fuck do we do now? And I think it's become evidently clear that you me at six. Just again, repeat the point I made earlier. Great at nailing that fourteen twenty two demographic when they broke out of it. They didn't really know what to do. So it's like right. There's two ways I can go. All-time low, mate. All-time low is still massive. And I've got proof of that. Do you know All-time low did a single last year that Demi Lovato was on? 
all-time low turn their commerciality right up to 11. Because all-time low hit that same demographic as you meet six. They came around around about the same time as you meet six. But all-time low are still fucking huge because they took their commerciality and was like, right, okay, mm, not a pop-punk band. We'll just be a pop band then and we'll just turn this commerciality right up. You meet six, you know, possibly to their credit, haven't done that. They haven't gone for the turning commerciality to 11. They've tried to be more of a organic, quote-unquote, credible, no slight to all-time low there, but credible rock act. It doesn't work. Um, this band struggled to write great rock songs. I knew, Sam, this album was going to be a struggle, two songs in. Nice to me and make me feel alive are two of the most boring songs I've heard in fucking ages. So laboured, just do nothing for me. The over-pronunciation on the verse in Nice to Me on Josh's vocal is borderline infuriating. Um, the first 45 seconds of Beautiful Way are like when it's that really like quiet, like kind of effervescent guitar tone and just Josh's vocal are like. And I actually think what you're doing right now, Sam, is the most interesting five minutes on the album. And the reason for that it doesn't sound anything like you, me at six. It, they're, they're saying like an R&B band and it's like kind of interesting. Like, oh, they're doing something really, really unusual for them. But outside of that, it's just this charade of really boring rock songs that kind of try to masquerade as techno numbers. Um, I think Adrenaline's probably the worst song on the album. It's fucking lifeless. And there's a bit of a stomp to the riff, but there's literally nothing more to it. Um, you mentioned Glasgow. And I Glasgow's all right, eh? Um, Josh, Josh, let's make the point actually Josh Franceschi has got a really good voice yeah Josh that, that's always going to be the case yeah. Josh Franceschi fucking has carried this band for a long long time um, and he still and he still does so um, I also am kind of partial to voice notes half decent chorus but I think as we, as we round off his album review Sam I'm still reeling off I can't believe you meet six wrote Room to Breathe and didn't try to become the Foo Fighters. You remember how much me and you liked Room to Breathe on Cavalier Youth? I, d I do remember. That fucking huge riff, that massive chorus. And at that point in 2014, you're listening thinking, they're going to fucking turn into the Foo Fighters. And it just, it just hasn't worked out. This is a really bad record. I can't believe, like... It's. We reviewed six as well. If you remember, I think we reviewed the last album as well. Do you think this is worse? I think this is worse. Harder. Bad. This is. It's bad that I can't even remember anything. Well, yeah, six. there was six. Six was bad. This I, I remember. I remember. Bad. I remember being. I remember being particularly insulted by Night People. Night People is the worst album I've ever done. Not. This is better than Night People. Um, but this is bad. This is bad. This is, um, yeah. It's it's not very good. They're trying to be a rock band. I thought the mixing decisions were really fucking strange. Why is the guitar so low? Why does he keep singing like it's muffled all the time? What is the gain for that? Mm. Why do I have to? Why do I have to like concentrate to hear what you're trying to say? I don't understand some of these decisions. <clears throat> a bit, it, it, it's bordering on self sabotage. Some of this, yeah. Like where I'm like, are you doing this on purpose? Do you have you want? Do you want them to not be in a band anymore? Um, I, I don't understand, but it's it's just a poor record. And I think I think your your attitude was 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 appropriately used. It's like 
It's lifeless. Yeah, nothing. There's nothing, there's nothing there for this. Yeah, there is nothing there to this. I think, you know, mate, I think you make an interesting and possibly salient and a point that we'll look back on and be like, Sam called it. Mate, if this album doesn't perform well in the charts, this could really spell doom um, for you, mate, six, because if this doesn't perform well in the charts and the shows, I don't know what the, what the ticket sales are for the shows, of course, I won't have that information. But if this doesn't perform well in the charts and the the tours don't sell well and it's clear that they've been on a downward slope uh, since the since Cavalier Youth and obviously Night People. I, I think this could spell doom for them. Um, obviously, on that, we'll have to wait and see. But this is a bad record. This is a really bad record. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, like they they'll, they'll get a modicum amount of, of money from from Spotify, but it's still be comparatively small. So it needs to rely on the the live shows, which aren't being done. And being hundred percent honest, like what you meet. I'd be diehard you meet six fans, but I can't foresee ever being in a situation where I think I'll buy this. Yeah, this doesn't sound like people that and that this sounds like a really, really like harsh thing to say, but this doesn't sound like an album from from a band that are like really looking to create something special or something that can oh. change a dynamic. Um because it's just such a fucking boring album. Um, and you know what I, I, I wish nothing but good things for you Meet Six and I hope this album performs well for them um, but for me this is this is a really really bad record yeah I can absolutely see the um, we are going on a hiatus sort of announcement maybe near the end of this year early or like late next year like 2022 that sort of time where the tour happens and it sort of fears away you could just sort of see that taking place but yeah I'd I'd the thing is, I I I I really really liked Cavalier Youth because it sounded like the, the 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 sort of transition that that band were ready to make. And what's happened since, I don't know, man. It's just um, it's just a bit disappointing because, I, like I said, there's a lot of talent. I think in that band still. I just think that they haven't they haven't quite figured out what they want to be mm. at all. Um, so yeah, with you, bud. Time will tell um, whether those predictions end up coming true. I hope they don't. I hope Human 6 have a successful career as possible. Uh, but this album, I don't think, if I had to guess, is going to do it for them. Although I've been wrong before. Moving on, Sam, uh, to the final topic of the show before my interview with Mo from the band in question. Uh, this is uh, Lonely the Brave with their new record, The Hopeless. It's out on January 22nd on Easy Life Records. It's the band's third album. I'll tell you what, mate. And I mentioned this to Mo, actually, on the Chris Meets. The fact that this album exists is kind of fucking incredible. Uh, and actually, it would be quite um, poignant to me to, to make this clear right now. Uh, Mo did that interview with me after a 12-hour shift of driving around ambulances. Um, so what a fucking hero he is. Imagine driving an ambulance around for 12 hours and then at 10 o'clock at night, you've been home for 45 minutes and you have to speak to me. I can't think of anything fucking worse. So um, Mo is an absolute fucking hero um, for not only having the job role that he has, but then also doing it for 12 hours and speaking to an absolute twat like me. Um, so I wanted to put that in there first. But branching off the point I was just about to make, Sam, um, the fact this album exists is kind of incredible. Um, are you familiar with Lonely the Brave at all prior to this podcast? 
No, mate. No. First time today. Okay, so um, they kind of burst onto the scene in 2015. They did an album called Day's War. Uh, I saw them at main stage ready at Leeds Festival either that year or possibly the year after. I feel like it was 2016, but I can't be certain. Um, they came around at a time where I thought like British anthemic contemporary rock was fucking dead. Uh, and I'd moved on to listening to like newer underground fresher artists like Black Peaks and Marmosets. Um, but that record, The Day's War, um, kind of gave me an insight uh, that there was still some good bands of their style about. It was that and The Great Divide by Twin Atlantic, which made me think, oh, actually, no, uh, mainstream contemporary rock is still good in places. Um, and then they rushed out an album called Things Will Matter, uh, which me and Mo discuss on the Chris Meets. And then in 2018, mate, uh, their vocalist, David Jakes, who was a massive part of the band's sonic personality, left uh, to see to mental health matters. And I genuinely thought that was the end of them because uh, things will matter, kind of halted their momentum. And then things got slower and slower. And then the vocalist, who was the ma- who was a major part of the band's sonic personality, left. So I thought they're going to struggle to recover from this. But here we are, three years later, a new vocalist, um, who also, I'd like to point out, produced this album, which I think is fucking about as ballsy as it gets, being a new vocalist, and then being like, I'll produce it as well, lads. Fucking hell. Um, And a new album. Sam, I'm going to come to you first, man. Uh, Lonely the Brave's third album, The Hopeless. I think this is great, dude. What do you think? I also think this is great. Um... I knew it, I knew it. Um, oh, that's interesting. Um, so there's a lot of bands that are, that are similar in style to this that I don't like. So can I ask you first, what about this? Did you think, oh, Sam will like this? What was it for you? Uh, the fact, mate, that it is a really well-written, open, hearty, big anthemic rock album that's written and performed well. Um, Mallory Knox were a band that were around in the mid-2010s. Mid, mid They're shit at this. Young Guns were another band that were around in the mid-2010s. Oh. They're shit at doing this. And they were the kind of bands that were being like fronted as like, oh, these are the bands that are going to take British rock forward. And I was like, I'm fucking out of here, dude. Yeah, fuck this. No chance am I sticking around for this shit. So what I think you'll like about this is that the choruses... It's simplistic. There's no intense guitar shredding. There's no crazy uh, time patterns. But what it is, it's got its heart on its sleeve for 40 minutes. The vocalist is great. The guitars are understated, but beautifully well mixed. It's always lifting the chorus up and making everything just that little bit more emphatic. And the lyrics are intelligent as well. How close am I? That's fair. Not far off in the slightest. Not far in the slightest. But, um, I, I really like this for for a few factors. I felt that um, I thought the choruses. First of all, the guys the guys are brilliant vocalists, yeah. and that that within within seconds you're like, oh okay, this has potential because of his voice. Almost immediately, you're like okay, this has gravity, this has weight to it, and it reminded me of a couple of bands. Pretty much immediately, I got a hold of Absence vibe. I yeah. got a um, Acres. Remember Acres? Yeah, um, I've, hell, I've yeah. got I've got Acres vibe in terms of the way that the voice sort of sort of leads on. Um, I really really enjoy that, but at the same time as well, um, I got a early fight star. I was talking to Jack about this vibe as well. There's a bit of Charlie Simpson in the roughness, you know, when he goes with the chorus yeah, and stuff. Like that. Yeah. And I thought those those are three bands that I actually really liked. 
Um, so then all, all three of those coming together for, for this for this is really good. I think the guitar sound is tremendous. Um, I'm a sucker for echoey clean guitar. Mm. Just look, I love it. Like I just give me that all the time. I just think it's a beautiful sound. And then combined with the way that the songs are written, are terrific. I think Bound, just the op- that op- <sighs> opening track is just phenomenal. What a way um, to open the record. Completely agreed. Um, just beautiful voice, um, a cool opening, um, really introspective. There's some roughness coming on with it, but it, it complemented well. You could hear it that it was going to get to that uh, bit where he sort of really pushes his voice out. And when that happened, that was really big for the song sort of transcendence. I thought that was really, really nice. Distant Light was another example. Um, gorgeous, clean. And I listened to this directly after listening to the Yumi at Six album and just immediately thought, why the fuck aren't Yumi at Six doing this? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just don't understand it. Like they have the same, they could use the same guitar tones. They have done that before. The way that the songs are structured, I've heard you mix do this type of thing. It was just, I just didn't, I just didn't compute. Um, I thought Bright I was a bit more punky, yeah. uh, a bit more early Death of Arna, sort of in that. And you know, it's a bit far past to sort of mention them, but some of the riff work reminded me of Lost Prophets' Town Called Hypocrisy. You know, mm. that do do that sort of. Snaky riff, which yeah, I know. Um, I haven't listened to him recently, but you know, you sort of reminded you. No, no, um, you are right. And the songs like Chasing Knives, uh, like immediately sort of catchy and punchy, you're tapping your toe, that that powerful sort of drum beat kicking through. I enjoy the title track, Hopeless. I actually enjoyed that they went with the clean guitar again, but took it in a different direction. They went for a more minor key, and it was deliberately sort of off putting. I enjoyed that. Um, I thought after that point, it just fell a little bit, so Keeper, I was a bit meh. And something I said was 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 nice, but not as as good as the early portions for me personally. Uh, but then it, it then it finishes with these two huge songs again with Heavy Heart and Harrow, which are just really finish off the album really really nicely. I think this is like you say, it's heartfelt but not gimmicky. Uh, his voice carries the choruses, and they I really like the way that they write songs. Um, I like the way that they transition in and out of the choruses, and it doesn't feel block like. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. I like that there are like in between transitions where the chorus seems to carry on, but in a different way and the key seems to change. I just think it's it's a really it's a really well played album as well. Obviously the instrumentation is fantastic. I'm a big fan of the, the guitar sounds, the guitar tones. And this is just um it's an, it's anthemic but not in a traditional rock way. Uh, it feels it feels anthemic and, and, and sort of accessible. Um and just the choruses are huge. This is these are well these are ten to twelve really, really well written songs. Um that 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 is the, the all there is all there is to it really. And his his voice is tremendous. They've they've done a great job picking him up. And I'm I'm hoping to hear more from him because I thought this was really, really good. It's really refreshing, isn't it, Sam, to hear a band that are just they're just a rock band, aren't they? Like it, it's not it's refreshing to hear something that isn't can't, isn't trying to break ground, isn't no. trying to be like over the, the the most technical album or trying to be the heaviest album. This is everything that you like about rock music done well, and that's refreshing, isn't it? This isn't like a particularly challenging listen. This is like it can be background music for you. It can soundtrack your last fucking breakup if you'd like it to. It can soundtrack the love of your life. 
I mean, this is something that just covers all kinds of boundaries. I mean, a lot of, most of this album could easily be background music for closing out an episode of Grey's Anatomy. And I don't mean that as a negative. You know what I mean there, don't you, oh, Sam? Grey's Anatomy bands, bro. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy, you're fucking wicked. And it's, you know, that those like, the patient ends up living, you know, uh, with fucking <laughs> like, bound playing in the background. Mate, fucking sign me up. Sign yeah, me up. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely agree. I love the Ricky Gervais explanation of what a Grey's Anatomy episode is. Yeah, it's great, you know, the patient ends up living, you know. <laughs> like the sometimes. bit where they don't die. That's clever, because sometimes yeah. they die. <laughs> but um, but, the, but yeah. the record is just so good at tugging on your heartstrings. Mm. And just I, just I just think, Sam, it's beautifully written, this album. I think... Parts of the album are just really like build these really like gorgeous soundscapes. Um, I actually fucking love Creeper. I think that okay, Creeper Keeper. I think that chorus is absolutely stunning. Uh, and the guitarists Ross and Mark, who I mentioned right at the beginning, they're understated, but not in a negative way. I, I love yeah. the way they're mixed on this album. They are mixed fucking brilliantly. Um, and if you listen to Chasing Knives, you pick it up best. There's like a perfect balance against the rhythm of Mo and Andy. So they're not dominating, but then balanced off Ross and Mark and Jack over the top vocals. There's the gorgeously crystally picked underneath Jack. And it is fucking really, really great. Um, I'm not massive on the title track. That one's a bit too loud and out of nowhere for me, but elsewhere, I think this is a stunning record. I think Jack Holloway will absolutely adore this. If he, if, he, yeah. if he doesn't already, um, I'm assuming, yeah. obviously, we've got it, so he's got it as well. I'm assuming he's already head over heels with this. Yeah, I spoke to him about it when I was first listening to it the other day, and I was like, you need to hear this. And he was like, oh, well, already all over this. No problem at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's already, it's it's his sort of, it's his sort of band. But, the, the, but at the same time, it, it's, it, I, I really like it as well. Like, it's terrific. Right. You know, it's, it's it's like you say it's it's really it's really it's really well written. Some of the songs are huge, but don't I, I want to emphasise that don't feel corny. And sometimes sometimes I'm listening to I listen to um, sort of rock music where they do the whole I'm really sad thing, and I'm I sort of find myself rolling my eyes. And it's you know yeah. they're, they're these 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 bands are trying to write the next fucking tattoo on someone's arm, and they're just trying to shout out these lyrics that sound like mantra esque that they want to stick, and it just it just feels a little bit lazy. Um, whereas this didn't feel like that. It felt really, really big, but not too overblown. Really well mixed. The, the production's fantastic. His guitar yeah. work is, is, is lovely. The guitar tone is, is utterly gorgeous. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't think it's going to be like in my top five to, to 10 albums, you know, in sort of 10 or 11 months. But I do, I do think it's a really, really, really good rock album. And I've got, and I've got lots of plays for that. Let me put this to you, Sam. Uh, do you prefer this to Cold Gear's Paradise? Hmm, that's a good question. I think I do. I think I do as well. That one-two punch of uh, Heavy Heart and Harrow at the end push it over for me because they are both fucking brilliant, emotional, climactic, just great contemporary yeah. rock music, mate. Yeah, I think that's fair. It, it gets better as the Cold Gear's album faded a little bit so the sort of cross paths i think near the conclusion of that album but yeah i big fan of this mate big fan i think we've reviewed three rock records today mate and oh you know 
there were three so different sounding albums, weren't they? Yeah, n- yeah. none of them sound anything like each other. Um, thank mm-hmm. fuck, neither of them sounded like fucking Sucker Punch. <laughs> but I think the two, yeah, one of them didn't even sound like music at parts. <laughs> the two, the two best ones by a country mile are the ones 100%. that both do actually what they already knew they were great at, and just try and turn it up to eleven. This is. If it, after this, I will happily send you some Lonely the Brave material from 2015, 2016, and you will see that actually musically, there's been no progression. And I don't mean that as a negative. I, I mean, they're the same. This is Lonely the Brave, but this is the best version of Lonely the Brave that they've ever, they've ever given out. This is really, really a great album. Um, and I think that it's a miracle it exists uh, it's even, uh, but then from that, it's also great. So be grateful it exists, not just because it very well couldn't have, but also because it's a really, really, really great album, and I am fully, fully fucking on board. Agreed. Sam, we are going to leave uh, the show between myself and you there. However, it is not the end because my interview with Mo the drummer of Lonely the Brave comes up straight after this. So if you're still sticking around, you've got a great, great interview to come your way because Mo is an absolute fucking legend. And like I said, went out of his way to give me an interview after a 12-hour shift driving fucking ambulances around. So what an absolute hero he is. Thank you, as ever, for listening to this episode of the Noise Podcast. Uh, Remember to give us a subscription or like or or, uh, give us a follow, whatever uh, podcast service you are listening to us on. And we are going to be back in two weeks' time and we look forward to that episode. Don't go anywhere. My interview with Mo comes up right now. We'll see you in two weeks. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Mo Drummer of Lonely the Brave. Mate, thank you for coming on the show, and how are you? <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, I'm really well. Yeah, considering everything that's going on. Um, yeah. yeah, just trying to stay positive and, yeah, just get my head down, getting on with stuff. Do you know what, mate? It's worth me mentioning that not only am I joined by you, I'm joined by you at 10 o'clock on a Thursday <laughs> night. I tell you what, mate, if you met me in person, you'd quickly realise I'm not worth your time at 10 in the evening. <laughs> not <laughs> no, nowhere near it, mate. <laughs> it is 10 o'clock, but I've only, like I say, I've only been home... I've only been home an hour, so I, I, this is, I suppose this is te- technically my downtime, but, you know, the, with this job at the minute, I just, my downtime is about two hours before I have to go to bed and get up and do it again, but... Insane. That's another caveat yeah. we should throw in there, actually. Not only have you just come back from work, you come back from fucking driving an ambulance for 12 hours, so uh, without embarrassing yeah. you, mate, um, it's worth, I, I feel uh, remiss to not point out thank you for the incredible effort that you're putting in to keep the country afloat at the moment, man. Um, can't oh, say how grateful right, we all are. Uh, you know, any, any, anyone would do the same. Um, I just feel lucky to have a job, really, because I know mm. how much, you know, a lot of people are struggling with everything that's going on and certainly a lot of my friends as well. So, you know, just just grateful to be to be able to get out and sort of like, you know, uh, just look after my family, really. And yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, dude, I could uh, shoot the shit with you on the state of the country for an hour, but instead I'd much rather talk about something uh, that puts a much bigger smile on my face, which is lonely, the brave. Um, Mate, I mean, when I was when I was putting together like ideas of, of what I want to discuss with you, like I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the past of Lonely the Brave when the future I feel is so exciting. Um, yeah, but I am I am curious if we can just cast your mind back to uh, twenty fifteen. Um, yeah, what was the mood in the camp like following the release of uh, the Day's War? Because strictly from an outsider's perspective, 
it looked like you'd put yourself in this tremendous position that you'd almost have to go out of your way to mess up. Um, how do yeah. you remember the aftermath of the record? Um, well, that record had been written and recorded a long time before it actually came out because, you know, we'd done it all off our own backs. Um, we were sleeping in, we were sleeping in my stepdad's builder's van, you know, in the winter because they, uh, we couldn't stay in the studio where we were recording. There was no accommodation. Right. Um, so we just done that for like a week on an industrial estate somewhere. <laughs> and we just, we sat on that record for ages and ages. And, you know, a few people said, you know, it's half decent. You try and do something with this. Um, and a friend of ours, James Parrish, who we still work with to this day, still working on this next record with us, um, just put it in some people's hands that sort of had a bit of sway in the music industry. And it just, it snowballed out of all, all recognition for us. I mean, I didn't expect anything to, you know, anything major to happen because we're always, we were already playing little shows like little punk all dayers in Cambridge and Ipswich and Norwich and things. Um, but then it just sort of, yeah, it just snowballed out of, out of all comprehension. And it was quite, it's quite difficult to take at the time actually, because um, you can probably tell none of us really like, like the limelight. Never yeah. got used to that kind of side of it, but you just you just keep cracking on and you just go with whatever comes really and i think we settled into it we settled into it after a, you know after about the first year or something but it was quite overwhelming so mark was talking about it on um on another podcast the other day and the the guy that he was talking to was like it's like imposter syndrome mm. where you uh you, <laughs> you feel like you're somewhere that you shouldn't be even though there's no reason why you know it's interesting you mentioned that like you think it took about a year to settle in because if I remember correctly, things will matter. I came out in 2016. Yeah. Um, so are, are we talking about the idea of like only just around by album two had you kind of settled into, um, I say fame, like, you know, like you're some kind of celebrity pop stars, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like in terms of yeah. this kind of like, you, you know, the, the steam behind Lonely the Brave picked up really, really quick. It seemed out of nowhere it was like you would become like one of these bastions for what British rock um, could and always should be. So are we talking like it took you almost a year to kind of settle into that uh, position? I think it took probably about a year to, you know, feel comfortable and like maybe a little bit warranted that we were where we, you know, get used to where we were. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, I don't think we ever got used to it 100%. Mm. But you sort of, I don't know, maybe you get a little bit more sort of like swagger and you after a while you just you you're in a certain place where you know you've been put and you know you've played played your way to to be fair but you just sort of get used to it and you get your head down and you crack on and you enjoy it where you can because it's not without it's it's not without its problems and stuff you know obviously mm. at one point or another everyone in the band had problem with each other you know that's yeah. that's that's just sitting in a van i mean i, I get it at work now you know you're always gonna have <laughs> your niggles with your crewmates and stuff like that but um um it was yeah i mean it did like you say it did happen really really quickly and then obviously um things will matter came out pretty sharpish afterwards but that was that was mainly because we got picked up by columbia mm. and obviously it's all just content 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 and they just want to put stuff out as quickly as possible before you before your uh your flame burns down you know so i think that's why it came came out that quickly and i probably why it's i mean i think it's okay but I don't, I don't think it's by, by far our best work. I think 
for me personally, you came around at a time that I was desperate for a band outside of Biffy Clyro to show me yeah. that like accessible British rock still had legs in it. And um, because at the start of the 2010s, it seemed like a British, you know, br- accessible British rock had been kind of spearheaded by a group of bands that, to be honest, I just don't think were very good. Um, yeah. But then the Days War and uh, the Great Divide by Twin Atlantic both came out in the same year. I, I think yeah. the, uh, the Great Divide by Twin Atlantic came out in 2015. Uh, regardless, um, th- those two records like, kind of like gave me faith that, oh, hang on, actually, um, anthemic British rock has still got legs in it because I I'd kind of found my way into looking to the underground like Black Peaks and Marmosets and stuff. Um, but yeah. Did you feel like when you were writing The Day's War that there was a chance that you were trying to strut down a catwalk that not a lot of people were paying attention to because it kind of caught on quite quickly that these bands that were spearheading British rock at the time, outside of obviously Biffy Clyro and stuff, were actually very good so people weren't paying attention? Well, I, th- I think the thing with our band is that um, <clears throat> it always seemed quite, our music has always seemed quite timeless. It's like The Day's War had been written quite a quite quite a long time ago now like i said mm. i don't think it's i don't think it's aged at all um, no no i mean it just i mean what, what is it? it must be 10 years or something since it was written um oh wow okay yeah well from the first ideas going you know through to for a couple of years after that and then getting your studio and stuff so you soon lose you soon lose a few years after you start writing mm. um but I, yeah, I just think it maybe it was slightly different to those other bands. Not that I'd ever knock those bands because we toured with basically every single one that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd love them all in their own different way. Um, but maybe, yeah, just something maybe a little bit, I don't know, is it sort of like timeless? Yeah. Because like I say, I'd, I'm my biggest critic and I don't, I don't think it sounds like it's aged at all, really. But mm-hmm. um, we just didn't really have an agenda where we were writing or anything. We just played and whatever came out and we liked because we, we would always throw away more than we actually kept whatever we liked we'd say yeah you know let's go with this and see how it goes and and by the by the time we knew it we had we had about 13 songs for the day's war and stuff and then it just yeah it just all like i say it just snowballed from there and it seems to be standing the test of time because it keeps being referred back to me all the time but just something i'm really proud of as you should be, man. Um, and just one also quick question on uh, Things Will Matter um, in terms of, and, and you kind of brushed over it earlier in the, in the sense that it came out so quickly after uh, the day's war because you'd signed to um, a new label and they were like, hey, got a new album for us. Um, do you yeah. think that the content matter around Things Will Matter could have changed had it been given two years or perhaps two and a half years after the day's war because it's it's undeniably like a, obviously a pretty dark record. Do you think do you think more time would have changed the concept? I th- yeah, I think it would have done. I'm not sure if that would have been for the better either. To be honest, right. like thinking about it, um, the thing with the thing with signing to Columbia was when we actually took a lot of the demos for things will matter to them. They you know they they do what was known in the industry as like just going quiet essentially. So they didn't have a lot of interest in that record anyway. Um, but I think, you know, you really need to strike while the iron's hot in this kind of scenario and, you know, just keep listening to your team and things and, and just putting and putting stuff out. But I would have liked more time, and I think it sounds rushed, personally speaking. There's a couple of songs on there that I really like, but a lot of it I don't, I'm not that fussed about, to be honest. But, yeah, you don't, you don't get a lot of time when you're, um, you know... <laughs> 
when you're sort of like ascending, they just want everything yeah. like you know straight away and stuff. And I get it, you know, it's a business at the end of the day, isn't it? But you know, it's it's that's still it's another record that I'm proud of. But um, you know, just trying to think about the future now, really. Of course, and I've got one more question on the past before we move on to the much much uh, brighter future that you've got. Um, you know, the story the stories that I've read and stuff suggests that quitting was never an option uh, when when yeah. David Jakes was leaving. Um, and that the, there was never an idea of let's just leave the band here then. Um, do you think it's fair to say in the moments that followed uh, Diary's departure that you probably found out more about the band than you had in the last 10 years prior? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we didn't, like I say, said it quite a lot, I guess, but we didn't really, we didn't think about knocking it on the head at, at you know, very much at all. I mean, there's a couple of moments during the, like, the last 10 years of this band where I've been like, that's enough, I've had enough of it. Mm. But like I say, it's just, it's the same, it's the same with any line of work and stuff that you do, it just, it gets overwhelming at times. And, um, and like, I can remember a conversation I had with Dave, he wanted us to carry on as well. So, you know, he's doing his thing, we're doing our thing. Um, and I think it just worked out best for everyone involved, I guess. And I think, that you make a really salient point there because the addition of, uh, of Jack on vocals um, came around because you'd known him previously, I believe. You'd done tours yeah. with him in a, a previous time, hadn't you? Um, yeah, we had, yeah. Most interesting for me uh, is that he turned into kind of producer slash engineer, uh, if I've yeah. done my research correctly. Yes, he did, yeah. He's, he's, got, his, um, he's got his own studio up near where yeah. he lives. Um, called Lapwing Studios um, and it's yeah it's fantastic up there it's really nice and you know it was just sort of floated around and stuff and Jack wanted to do it and we wanted him to do it as well um, so we just went for it really and it's I feel really really quite lucky that we were in that position where we could actually sort of like produce our own record you know without a because I'll be honest with you I don't take a lot of pleasure out of being in the studio and I never have done I like right. the finished article, and that's that's all I like. I don't even mm. really like writing music. <laughs> Never have done. But, <laughs> right. Um, I like it when it gets to a point where it's acceptable, and then I like it after it's recorded. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. I've always had that, but it was just painless, and it was it's just a really nice sort of really nice atmosphere when we were writing and when we were recording. Um, and I think that shows on the record. It's not. It doesn't. I think the other records might sound as places where they sound really fraught and stuff um, mm. probably because there's a lot of stress coursing through the band now and again. Um, but this one, it's just, yeah, we haven't done it really organically, took our time. We didn't, we didn't have sort of like people looking over our shoulders, like you know, pointing us in different directions and things like that. It was just done it off, all off our own backs. And it's, and I think you can tell that it's, it really does sound like it's a, a sort of from the heart record that hasn't been messed around with too much. Well, maybe you've already answered this next question, but was it difficult to entrust the sonic dynamic of the band to someone that you didn't know that well? Um, no, I don't think we ever had that conversation, really. Um, I think it just, if it feels right, it is right. That kind of, you know, that kind of mindset for us. Um, and like I'd, I'd heard stuff that Jack had recorded before as well, and we all had, and just had a hundred percent faith that he could do it, and and he did as well. And he's like such a bright lad. It's you know he's got such a bright future in whatever he wants to do. You know, Lonely the Brave and recording and things. 
Um, he's like the production on this record is my favourite like production yeah, out it's of excellent. Any, yeah. any recording that we've done. You know, I look back at how much that we paid for, you know, other bits and pieces of recording. I'm not going to name any names or anything like that. And this just absolutely sticks out a mile compared. I've actually got a record that I absolutely love the production of, which is a big thing because I've always I've always picked holes in the other stuff, but. Yeah, I think he's absolutely knocked it out of the park, to be honest. He's, he just gets us. I always find it fascinating when a band member produces the record because there's already that level of personal investment there. Like uh, my co-host Sam, if I went into yeah. his English lesson and was like, uh, you know what, dude, you need to, I, I, you should redo that lesson on grammar. He'd be like, fuck off. You want to bet? Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you know, you're supposed to be best yeah. friends. Like, um, so... But even more interesting, this dynamic is you being produced by a band member that had only just become a member of the band. So how was yeah. it to be produced, not just by a band member, but, but a new member of the band? And I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for Jack to be like, oh man, you know, we need to redo that take on guitars. I don't know him that well. You know, um, yeah. so how, how was that? Um, I, I think he handles it really well, actually, because he's, he's at the same time, he's not afraid. He wasn't afraid to keep telling me to do something else, you know, or, you know, something, something again um, that didn't sound right and stuff. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just one of those drummers where I'm just like, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, yeah, I think, right, that, I think, okay. that's, fine. I think that's fine. And then and then I'd have like the other four members of the band saying, no, no I think you probably do that again, you know. Yeah. Um, and then that's where I get in huff sometimes when I've done something more than five times. <laughs> yeah. So, um but no i think you know if you if you're a producer and stuff like that i don't i think if you if you can't speak to bands and say what you're thinking then i i don't think producing's really the game you know um it's just it's just pro start to finish to be honest in in every single aspect i really like the hope list in general um but i think my favorite thing about it and you alluded to it earlier is its uplifting tone not just lyrically, yeah. uh, you, Andrew, Ross, Mark have written this like beautifully emphatic musical piece, which I feel like speaks very much of a, of a back to basics idea for Lonely the Brave. Is that what, yeah. I, I, know, I know that the record was actually written uh, a long time ago now, similar to the day's war, I suppose. Um, yeah. But is that what the discussions around the writing phase were like? Like, what are we good at? Let's just execute what, we're re- what we know we're really good at. Is that how it went? Well, I th- I think probably subliminally that's how it went. I mean, we never, we've never been one of them bands that sit around sort of, you know, thinking about the direction that we want to go in. It's, I mean, <laughs> maybe we will one day, but it's just more a, just sitting around and just firing stuff backwards and forwards. And, and if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, then we never use it again and stuff. But it's it baffles me how these records actually get made because I can barely remember any of it. But it, just, <laughs> it just seems to happen. Um, it's, it's, I can't explain it. It's almost, it's almost a really ethereal sort of thing. It just, it's almost like witchcraft. I don't know. I don't know how it happens, but there's never really any solid conversations about what we're going to do and where we're headed. Um, we just keep playing until something sticks and then, and then we stay with it. Yeah. As boring as that probably sounds. I'm not at all. Um, but something else that I think adds even more credence to the job that, that Jack's done. Again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Did you have the album instrumentally written by the time Jack came on board and then 
it was on him to just add the lyrics to it because that is a, a quite a task. Um, um, I've got to say. So is is that the case, or am I slightly off there? I, I don't think that was the case. Um, I think we pretty much wrote it all in his in his studio. I mean, right, we had okay. ideas. Uh, we had ideas and things before that, but yeah, everything was everything was just you know rec- like uh, not recorded. Everything was sort of written together, right? Um, as a five piece, either you know most of us in the room at the same time and stuff, or going up there for five days and then someone else will come up for three days and things like that. But and then just sticking it all together and you know jack was instrumental in that as well um a lot of the piecing together of the songs and things but yeah i, d- I don't think we had we had like you know much done before we actually turned up t- into the studio with jack i mean when we first started rehearsing with him we were just because we'd done a few shows um just to try and find our feet i think um, london and places like that and so we you know firstly we were just trying to learn the old songs and just as they say, playing the hits and fuck off, you know. Yeah. That, that old chestnut. Um, but yeah, this whole thing was just just five people, essentially, in the same room. I'll tell you what, mate. Usually, uh, when bands put out a large amount of content from the record before it comes out, um, usually I think, oh, you've, you know, you've, you've sold us all your best songs already before, before <laughs> the album's come in. However, mate, you haven't released Chasing Knives as a single, and I fucking adore that song so much do you know what i i love that song and only for the last like month or something like that i'm like shit what yeah i kept on skipping to like the harrow at the end and me and my wife are just playing also brilliant also brilliant (laughs) that's terrifying that song i absolutely (laughs) love it um but yeah chasing knives and and there's a few people coming back on that one as well it's um i think it sounds a lot like lonely the brave that song yeah yeah Classic um, band and the brave tendencies, but I, I don't want you to take that as me being like uh, that. I've got some kind of distaste for the five singles because I think you couldn't have picked five better songs to sell the record. I mean, mate, that chorus on Bound, uh, just yeah, kind of like, it. kind of like you said, mate. I mean, mate, that is atypical. Lonely the brave, that is, which I think is fucking excellent. Um, yeah, I'm the same as you as well. I'm, I'm like, you know, I think the, I think the best of it is still on the album that hasn't yeah. been heard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The uh, the Mini Keepers documentary, which came out today, coincidentally, um, yeah, five incredibly interesting minutes, and you make a point on it uh, that I'd like to quickly dissect if we can. Um, yeah, you mentioned that you kind of that the band kind of had to write this record because you, you don't know anything else, and no. I feel I feel like just that one quote alone ties in really excellently to the main characteristic of the album, which to me, um, as someone who's listened to it several times. Um, it's got this kind of open vulnerability to it, which is like its main characteristic, like it's open, honest and emotional. And I feel like that quote you made where it's like, we have to do this because we don't know anything else as a group. I feel like that perfectly summarises the entire story of the album. Uh, Do you feel that's a fair assessment? I do think it's a fair assessment, yeah. um, And it feels like it's come together on this record. It's like... You know, we haven't obviously been spending as much time with each other before we before we were all getting together to do the writing and recording and stuff like that. So I think I felt like we were drifting slightly, and we were only trying to figure out how we were going to go forward and stuff like that. But it's almost like it's almost like everyone's got compasses and they're all heading in the same direction, and eventually we all get there again. Um, it's like got this really remarkable pull that this band has that you just you do want to keep on doing it against all the odds and things. Um, 
I don't know why that keeps happening. Um, but yeah, it's, it just it feels like that we have to continue doing it all the time. And I know the other guys feel the same as well. Um, so yeah, we just keep you know just keep plopping out a record every couple of years. <laughs> I mean, does this feel like Lonely the Brave two point to you? Because I said in my written review that um, that I get a sense of rejuvenation from the record as opposed to reinvention. Um, yeah. So do you feel like it's Lonely the Brave two point or is this just you know, Lonely the Brave's next move, as opposed to, like, it's a new band, quote-unquote? Um, this, this is probably the most excited I've ever been, you know, re- about releasing a record mm. with Lonely the Brave, um, for just the magnitude of reasons, like, um, just, it's probably been the least amount of stress that we've ever had to release a record, because, you know, we've done most of this ourselves. Um, it just feels really good at the minute and like I'm at a better place than I, you know, was previously when we were writing and recording the other albums and stuff like that and look after myself a lot better now. And I just feel really positive about it instead of having like the fear, um, you know, and then you've got you know, things like worrying about what reviews are going to be of it and stuff like that. And I haven't really got that anymore. Um, obviously you want people to like it and stuff, but you know, it's it's all subjective, isn't it? I mean, I don't yeah. like a lot of music. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'd, sometimes I keep bloody quiet about it. No, um, <laughs> it's just, I think, I feel like we've made a record for ourselves as well as everyone that loves our band and not to sort of please anybody else, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it was it was made for all the right reasons, in, in my opinion. Um, just grateful to be able to do it and... I don't know what would have happened if we, you know, hadn't got this finished because <laughs> it, it still wouldn't be finished now. So, and that'd be another year that's gone by and, you know, things wane after a while, don't they? Well, um, funny how things work out, isn't it? Because uh, an album that is based uh, so solely around the concept of hope and things will get better and, um, enjoying life for what it is uh, mate the world doesn't half need an album like that right now so perhaps the delay like delays of the album looks like we've done it on purpose doesn't it <laughs> yeah you saw something coming man um, I've got to understand that this was all done before this pandemic <laughs> oh yeah because obviously you'd written you'd written the album prior to uh, to the first lockdown hadn't you so yeah yeah we had I mean we still had little bits to do from what I can remember um just little sprinklings really, but it was, yeah, it was essentially, it was done and, you know, we were mixing at the start of the year or Jack was. Um, so yeah, but you know, if, if the cap fits, yeah, if people want one. a record for a pandemic, then, you know, um, you know, far be it from me to say this, it can't be. I know it's hard to look at, look objectively at records, not only just when they're your own and you're, you're part of the writing crew, but also when they're about to come out or have recently come out. So it is hard to take a step back and look objectively at the situation. But um, I, would agree with, I would agree with some things that you've said before. And just to actually ask you more directly, The Hopeless yeah. to me sounds like the culmination of your career. Uh, I really liked The Day's War. I liked Things Will Matter. Uh, but this is like, for me... I've heard this record as like, this is the moment where they've hit the potential that you saw that they had on the day's war. Um, do you feel like this, if I asked you directly, this is the culmination of your career, this 40 minutes? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, 100%. I've, I just, I love it from start to finish and I haven't had that with any of our other records. Um, 
yeah, I just, I, I feel like this is a record that's probably born to make. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know what, mate? Um, I couldn't agree more with you. And just before uh, we finish off with our quick fire round, um, yeah, just, right. just to finish off here, um, I guess considering the things that Lonely the Brave have been through, um, does the mere existence of the hopeless feel like a victory on its own? And then anything that comes after that is a bonus. Yeah, that's that's absolute nail on the head. That is um, to to have even got the record out feels like a, a, an absolute victory for us. Um, and we'll just have to see what the future holds. Uh, as, as I certainly hope, mate, the future holds that uh, tour going ahead. Although um, I'm becoming yeah. <laughs> more, I'm becoming more and more suspicious by the day, mate. I've got to say. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Mo. Just as we finish off, mate, we're going to hit the quick fire round here. Now, this is something yeah, that no. I've I've only just brought in uh, for this yeah. year on the podcast, and not to put pressure on you, Mo, but <laughs> I, tr- I tried this out with uh, my mom earlier with some of the questions changed around, and she did it in one yeah. minute and twenty seconds. So it's not a competition, Mo, but Janice did it in in eighty seconds, mate. So eighty seconds, eighty seconds. So you've got that on your back. We'll see if you can right, beat yeah. her time. Right. So yeah, I'm gonna. I'm- I've got 20 questions here, dude. Um, first thing that comes to your mind, and we'll see if you can beat Jan's time. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Let's go. Uh, Batman or Superman? Batman. Ketchup or mayo? Mayo. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Favourite band of all time? Dinosaur Junior. Jeans or shorts? Shorts. Hardest Lonely the Brave song to write? Call the Horses. Favourite TV series? Shit's Creek. Favourite film? E.T. Best time of the day? Early morning. Favourite Lonely the Brave song? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Pass. Uh, Tea or coffee? Uh, Coffee. Uh, your own personal worst habit? Uh, Jesus. Uh, don't know. <laughs> Best, per- don't know. <laughs> Best person in the band to be around in the studio? Uh, Bush. Uh, favourite, album of, favourite album of all time? Uh, Dinosaur Junior, where you been? Uh, favourite actor slash actress? Uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, least favourite form of social media? Facebook. Favourite non-musical hobby? Uh, cycling. Best gig you've ever been to? Best gig I've ever been to? Um, Fugazi, Cambridge Junction. That sounds fucking awesome. Uh, best gig you've ever played? A long time ago. <laughs> best gig you've ever played? Uh, Reading, main stage. Best advice, I believe I was there actually. Uh, best advice you've ever been given? Uh, don't give up. Clocked in, mate, at one minute and 56. Uh, that faint sound you can hear in the background is my mum laughing at you, mate. <laughs> uh, Mo, uh, it was an absolute pleasure uh, to oh, thank talk you so to much, you, mate, man. Uh, and for you to give me your time at this time of the evening, considering. Oh, the it's my pleasure, you. honestly. Thank you for just taking the slightest interest. I really appreciate it.
uh, dude, the whole list is great. Um, I love it so much. Oh. Uh, I can't wait for my uh, indie exclusive vinyl to turn up from Banquet Records. Um, it's a it's a really great record. I hope you you clearly are proud of it, as you said, as you should be. Uh, I, I wish nothing but the best for you, mate. And I sincerely hope that I can catch you on this UK tour, mate. Uh, all the best. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, man. Yeah, I'll see you when you get there. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. See you, mate. Take care, Cheers. Mate. Bye.